It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to a special edition of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Give us a call, 208-991-4783, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, today is a very special episode. We commemorate... 50th anniversary of September 30th, 1962. That date traditionally marks the end of the golden age of radio. Now, oftentimes, uh, this can be described in a lot of ways. I read one author describe it as the end of radio drama. Um, and uh, other uh, comparisons as well. Radio drama certainly did not end on this uh, day in 1962. In the United States, even, you had uh, the Heartbeat Theater and uh, Unshackled uh, from Pacific Garden Missions continue to broadcast. And within a couple years of the end of uh, the golden age of radio, we would have Matthew Slade, Private Investigator, as a syndicated series that would be shared with our armed forces, 
And then in 1964, we would see the return of network radio drama when ABC produced Theater 5. However, what was coming to an end is worth uh, noting. It was the era of radio greatness. At the zenith of the Golden Age, radio was a place dominated by legendary personalities, producers, comedians, actors. And then you had the great character actors, the Virginia Greggs, the Harry Bartels, who literally did radio thousands of times, thousands of roles, and crews that were just as proficient at what they did. There have been many uh, radio drama productions since this time, but uh, that level of pure poise and pure professionalism that comes with a lifetime of work simply can't be uh, replicated. Although, though many uh, do uh, outstanding work. Radio did not die uh, overnight. It was probably a period of about uh, 11 years that started in 1951 uh, when radio began to not make as much money as television. That began to drive uh, budgets. Um, the uh, uh, producers and uh, management uh, wanted to spend their money where people were listening. Um, and uh, so you saw bigger uh, budgets for television, smaller budgets of radio for bu radio. And so there was, a, in many cases, a decline even in the quality of the programs. Occasionally, you'll have a, a program, say, from, say, the late 50s or early 60s. You'll listen, you'll wonder, okay, what were they thinking with uh, this particular script? Uh, because they could not afford that same quality of writing. And there was a slow march of programs off the air. Uh, as uh, famous golden age names began to disappear, 1955 marked the end of new original episodes of Dragnet, though it would continue in reruns for a couple of seasons over radio. Uh, the Lux Radio Theater, The Whistler, gone in 1955. In 1956, Lone Ranger was gone. 1957, R. Miss Brooks, The Great Gildersleeve, Gangbusters, David Harding Counterspy, and The Family Theater. 1958 saw the end of X-1. 1959 saw One Man's Family come to an end. 1960 saw the long-running uh, pro program uh, Ma Perkins uh, end after 23 years on the air and Have Gun Will Travel. 1961 saw Gunsmoke in. So by the time we reached September the 30th of 1962, there were two radio programs remaining that had a connection to Radio Zenith, Radio's Greatness. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and Suspense. I suppose if you had uh, taken a bet in 1953-54 as to what radio program would be around uh, when radio uh, came to an end, I doubt there would be many betting on uh, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Uh, it had, uh, prior to being uh, canceled in September of 1954, uh, a pretty solid run. 
well more than 200 episodes broadcast, with uh, three separate actors having appeared in the role of Johnny Dollar over the radio, beginning in 1949 with Charles Russell. However, the program, after a year hiatus, returned with Bob Bailey in the lead. And the program became uh, radio's last great detective uh, drama. Bailey continued in the role until 1960. And in December of that year, the decision was made to move Johnny Dollar and Suspense to New York. Bailey elected to stay with his family and not uproot them. And so... New York, Bob Redick took over as uh, Johnny Dollar, and then he later gave away to Mandel Kramer, who in the summer of 1961 became the last actor to play the role of Johnny Dollar. And this is the last episode. Uh, this one will not show up in the Johnny Dollar feed, just because I don't want to confuse folks who are following it uh, in order. But I can safely play this episode because there's not really any major uh, life-altering plot developments. And it can kind of be listened to in its own context. So here now is the last episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. From September 30th, 1960, it's the tip-off matter. Johnny Dollar. Johnny, this is George Hardy at Northeast Endeavor, the Association. Yes, George. Got a pencil and a piece of paper? Sure. And write this down. Go ahead. One thirty. 070583. Got it. So? He wants to see you. Who does? 130-070583. At state prison. Oh. You know his name, George? No. But if it's who I think it is, well, Johnny, you just might find yourself going for the commission on 100,000 bucks. CBS Radio Network brings you Mandel Kramer in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Northeast Indemnity Association, Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the tip-off matter. <laughs> Expense account item one is four sixty for a tank full of gas. Despite the fact that the state pen is only a few miles south in Weathersfield a town with a population of about 20,000, where the father of our country once planned the historic Battle of Yorktown. In other words, George Washington slept there. An assistant warden led me not to one of the cell blocks, but to a screened-off corner in a hospital ward. The man who lay there was in his early 30s. But he looked a hundred. Thin, drawn, emaciated with the pallor of death on his face. It was a full minute before I recognized him as Turner McGackie, up for safe-cracking, whom I hadn't seen since the day the judge handed out his term some ten years before. 
Pretty funny, huh, Dollar? I'm due to get out. Instead, I lay here dying. Oh, now, come on, come on. Who told you that, McGacky? Now, come on, don't you try and kid me too, Dollar. I ain't got long, and I know it. That's why Adam sent for you, see. Maybe... Maybe you can stop a killing, Dollar. A killing? Yeah, from that safe job that got me in here. That was ten years ago. Only they never found the loot from it, did they? Oh, I see. And you know what it is, Mac? Look, this ain't... This ain't easy, Dollar, me telling this, but... You're the only one I... Only one I got any respect for. Respect for me? Mac, I was partly responsible for putting you here. Yeah, sure, Dollar. I hated your guts. Then I did. Only yesterday, the warden... He, he told me about what you've done for Tommy. My kid brother. About the home and foster folks you got for... Uh, about your seeing he'd get educated. Like the way that I never did. He was a nice kid, McGecky. It's all because of you that... Kid has a chance to play it straight. Get somewhere. I think he will, too. He doesn't know about me. He didn't know I was there, Mac. There? Yeah. I stood in the crowd and I watched him graduate from high school. With honors. You'd have been proud of him, Mac. Yeah. Proud. And all the county you give him would... I couldn't never give him. Tommy deserved a chance like any other kid. That's all. Yeah, but the way you've done it. You're letting him think I've been killed. Some kind of an accident. You're never letting them know about my record. What I really was. And now he, he's got no spots on him. He's got nothing to live down but make him ashamed. And all this time I, I didn't know about... About what you've done for him. I just kept hating you. But I didn't know. Look, Mac, that's all water under the bridge now. So now I'm, I'm going to make, make up to you, Dollar. There's no need to, Mac. Look, look you're getting tired. I, uh, I better leave yeah, you now. Yeah, but the loot from that safe job, a hundred G's. Oh? So, listen. I like it. Listen. Real careful. Real careful, Dollar. told me then about Joe Pirelli, an old crony of his. Pirelli, now posing as a fisherman, living in Mac's old cottage on Peconic Bay, Long Island, near the town of Cutshog. He told me about a safe in the cellar of the cottage, and the fact Pirelli knew only half the combination to it. And the other half? Two weeks ago, when he'd found out that he was going to die, Mac had given the other half to a crook by the name of Danny Russelloff, who'd pulled the heist with him who was also there in the pen, who'd not only been a boxman, but a killer. Okay, fine. Except for one thing. I wouldn't have told Danny. 
Not if I'd known then about what you've done for my brother. Look, Mac. But now I, I don't know. So it's you that... You that's going to have that dough. Now, it'll go to the insurance company, Mac. Look, Danny gets to him first. Danny will kill Pirelli. Take it easy now. Don't get yourself too excited. Don't, don't you see? Having the whole combination between them. Danny will get the dough. That, Danny will kill Pirelli. Well, look, if, uh, if you gave me the combination... Yeah. Yeah. All right, then. You, you'll, you'll give me your word. You, you'll protect Pirelli. Gonna just keep a dough from you all this time. Mac, I'll do what I can for him. But first, while I'm here at the pen, I better get things straight with Danny Russelhoff. No, Dollop. Danny's getting out of here t- today. Getting out? You mean they're releasing him? Yeah. So you, you gotta go for that dough and now go see Pirelli. Okay, Mac. Now the combination of the safe. Yeah. Yeah. First, it's right. Turn it right. Yeah. Number. Number. Dollar, I can't Mac. breathe. Mac. I'm calling Dollar. Come on, Mac. Help me. Orderly. Help me. Nurse. Nurse, get a doctor Help. in here. By the time the doctor got there... Yaki was dead. I asked the warden about Danny Russelhoff then. Yes, Mr. Dollar, we sent him on his way about an hour ago. And all I can say is good riddance. Okay. Expense account item two, $150 for a plane, a charter job. We took off and headed south. How Dick Spidell, the pilot, ever managed to sit down among the sand dunes near Cutshog in semi-darkness, I'll never know. But after a walk of about a mile, I found a gas station. Item three, twenty dollars for the gas jockey for the use of his stripped-down vintage car. Sure, man. You just negotiate that next turn left. You, you see it down there? Yeah. And then, then you swing another left on the sandy road you come to, mm-hmm. and you stop when you make the bay. It's a beat-up old shack with a wore-out old pier in front of it. Okay. Oh, and if you don't see him around or he don't answer when you knock, one in anyhow. Probably because old Pirelli's liquored up like he mostly is and his fell asleep. All right, thanks. Oh, and, uh... Just be sure to get my car back here by midnight when I close up, huh? Right. Mike? Pirelli? Anybody here? Stop knocking down this door. Come on up, man. Okay. All right, Pirelli, I... Oh. Yeah. You got a gun. Because I've been waiting for you. Uh, you're a lousy shot, Pirelli. Okay, Danny, I give up. I give up. I give up, Danny. Danny, huh? Is that who you were waiting for with this gun? Danny Russelhoff? Yeah. Yeah, I thought... Uh, I read Johnny was getting out tonight. Who are you? Who are you, mister? My name is Dollar. Now sit down over there by that table. Yeah. What are you doing here? I've come to pick up some money, Pirelli. A hundred thousand dollars. 
No. From the safe in your cellar. No, you got no right to that. I haven't, huh? You think I didn't know what's in the safe? I'm sure you did. And it all better be in it now. That's Max, though. The Gackies. He's dead, Borelli. Only a couple of hours ago in the prison hospital. You're lying. You want to call him up and check on it? Dead. The Gackies dead, huh? That's right. Oh. Now, half of that dough is mine. That's mine, Dollar. I don't think so. Oh, no. Dollar, huh? You Johnny Dollar? You're insurance dick. That's right. And I'm here to get that money. No. I'm also here for another reason. Yeah? Like what? To save you a worthless carcass if I can. You don't believe that, huh? I never trust no cop, and you're a cop. Look, Pirelli, get one thing straight. Personally, I couldn't care less what happens to you. I've got no use for you. A man with a record like you piled up over the years... Look, I paid for everything I've done. I served time. And for holding on to this hot money? My only reason for trying to keep Danny Russell off from killing you is because I promised McGacky I would. I can take care of myself. Like you did when I came barging in here? Okay, so maybe you... Maybe Look, maybe Danny maybe... Russell lost a killer, and he's got the other half of that safe combination. What? Yes. Because McGacky gave it to him when he found out he was going to die. And you think Danny couldn't force your half out of you with a gun in your belly? If you refused to help him open that box? And then when he got the dough, he'd kill you. No, I, 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 I still, still wouldn't, wouldn't tell him my half. He'd kill you anyway and then blow the safe. That used to be his business. So whatever happens, Pirelli, without me, you end up dead. I've got to Now, look, I know it'll mean breaking my word to McGacky, but if that's the way you want it, all I have to do is just sit on the sidelines, wait for Danny to get hit, for the safe to be open one way or another, so you get knocked off and then move in on Danny. Yeah, okay, okay, but I, maybe I can get him first. Sure. Go on. Try it. But if you do get lucky, if you do kill him before he kills you, I promise you one thing, Pirelli. I'll see you end up in the chair. Would you like to think about that for a while? Just don't take too long, though, hmm? Because I doubt if Danny's going to waste much time getting down here. And if I'm not around when he does get here? Well, Pirelli? Okay, okay. What do you want me to do? Got enough food around here to keep us for a couple of days? Sure, I got plenty. All right, then I'm moving in. You got a phone? No. Only plenty of food and booze. Yeah, I can see that. Is there any other way to get here, Pirelli, besides the road that turns off near the gas station? Not unless somebody try to get here with one of those heliocopters. Mm. All right, then from the gas station, I can tell if somebody's heading in here. Huh? I'll see you later. Mm -hmm. Item four, back at the gas station, out on the highway, a hundred dollars even. A hundred bucks? Oh, for that man, I'll ride a bicycle or borrow my sister's car and you can keep the old crate. No, Jimmy, I'll only need it for a day or two, I hope. All the time you want. Uh, and is there anything else I can do, Mr. Dollar? Just let me have a handful of change to throw at this payphone of yours. Item five, 380 for a call to George Hardy at his home back in Hartford. I gave him the whole story. Good, Johnny, good. I had a feeling it had to do with that safe-cracking job we had to make good on. Now, uh, how do I contact you down there? You don't. I'll have to contact you. What are you thinking of? Well, you 
You said this Danny Russeloff hasn't shown up there yet. Not yet. Though he's had plenty of time by now. Maybe Danny's playing it smart now he's on parole. What do you mean? Well, he's supposed to report in here in Hartford where he used to live, isn't he? Probably. So he'll do that first to give a good impression. Make everybody think he's on the up and up. Maybe. And then when he figures nobody's watching him anymore, then he'll make his move, right? Except that I can't see him wasting any time about getting his hands on the money, or at least making sure it's still here. So, George. Yes? Get hold of Pete Larkin. The private detective? Yeah. Tell him it's for me. Tell him if Danny is there in Hartford to keep an eye on him day and night. And if he leaves town, I want to know it so I can be ready for him. Okay. And uh, meanwhile, what will you be doing? Have you called on the police down there? I don't even know if they have any in this little town. What's more, a couple of cops prowling around would only scare him away, and I want to get him. I'll check back with you three or four times a day. Okay. And at least we know where that 100000 is now. Do we? Maybe I'd better get back out to Pirelli and make sure. The safe was still there in Mike Pirelli's cellar, intact. And Mike himself in the process of getting very, very drunk. But in answer to my question... Okay, okay. It's only the last two numbers of the combination that I know. All right, what are they? Um, uh, it's two. Um, two turns to the right. Two turns to the right? Uh, what number? Um, it's 80, 81. Two turns to the right to 81. Yeah. And then? Hey, listen, Dollar. And then, Mike? Yeah. Then left, um, uh, left 14. Then left to 14. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Hey, listen, Dollar, I'm scared now. You got me scared. Give me the... Here, go ahead. Help yourself. <laughs> Maybe enough of that stuff will at least keep you... Hold it. Listen. Huh? Hold it. Uh, you hear that? What? Yeah. He's the car out there. All right, let me douse these lights. You see it there? You know that car? No. Yeah, but that's him. Hey, Daddy. He's coming in here to kill me, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> I quietly slipped over to one side of the door and grabbed the knob. I drew my gun and waited. For a long moment, there was no sound out there. Then a car door opening and closing quietly. Then footsteps on the wooden sidewalk. Then as I felt him touch the doorknob, I turned it and swung open the door. Say... What's the matter, man? What's going on here? Uh, why are you palming that cannon? Sorry, Jimmy. I was expecting somebody else. Man, I hope so. Hey, hey what happened to him, to old Pirelli? Oh, well, he... Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see the jug now. Mm -hmm. Falling down drunk again, huh? Oh, but, uh, here. Here, Mr. Dar. The reason I stopped by is I forgot to give you this key to the trunk of my car in case you need it. Oh. Okay, Jimmy, thanks. And, listen, I've been thinking... Mm -hmm. Your name is Dollar, huh? Johnny Dollar, that mm -hmm. investigator? Man, I think you're the most... Look, Jimmy, if Johnny Dollar was around here, if he was setting a trap for some crook... Yeah? And if anybody blabbed about it to anyone, Johnny Dollar might end up very dead. You understand that? Don't worry. Don't you worry. Just just let me know how you make out, will you? I'll let you know. Yeah. 
And thanks. Thanks, Johnny. Item six. In the next three days, $41 for more telephone calls to George Hardy. Yeah, Danny Russelloff was in Hartford, but sitting tight. And maybe George had been right. But how much longer I could keep old Pirelli under the influence without doing him serious harm began to worry me. And I was afraid that if he got sober, he might turn on me. Then the fourth day. And listen, Johnny. I mean, mister. As soon as you get through making that call, I want to tell you something. Yeah, okay, Jimmy, sure. And I hope you haven't been worried about my telling anybody you're here because I haven't told anyone. Hello? George? Johnny Dollar? Yeah. Thank goodness you called. When I got back here from lunch, Pete Larkin, that private eye you had me call. Yes? Early this morning, Danny Russell got away from him. He did. Pete lost him entirely. So, Johnny, if I were you... Okay, George. Now, uh, what I was going to tell you... Jimmy, I'm sorry. I haven't time now. But uh, about that other car that started down the road... It... What? Well, yeah, down at Pirelli's place. When? Well, about an hour ago. But then it came back to the highway. Did you get the license? Well, I didn't get the number. Uh, it was Connecticut, though. All right, then. After he came back to the highway? Down that way. I see. Look, Jimmy, is there another road around here that goes to the bay? Yeah, the old fishing club below Pirelli's place. Okay. Here. A sawbuck? Yeah. But why? What did I do? I'll let you know. I started down the road to Pirelli's. But no. Because if it had been Danny, the reason he turned around and come back to the highway was because he'd seen my car there. So instead, I took the road to the fishing club. And there it was, beside the abandoned clubhouse, a rental job with Connecticut plates. Leading away from it were footprints in the sand, leading toward Pirelli's. As I got close to the cottage by crawling on my belly behind the sand dunes, I managed to work my way around to one of the windows. I waited and listened. Not a sound inside. A trap? Maybe so. Maybe Pirelli's still hoping for a crack at the hundred grand to take a chance of going over to Danny's side. Well, there's only one way to find out. I raised up just enough to look into the room. And there on the floor lay Mike Pirelli. Dead. A bullet hole in his forehead. So he hadn't told his half of the combination. That meant there was only one way Danny could get the door out of that safe now. And the door to the cellar was wide open. Yet if I tried to lift the noisy old window and climb in without some other sound to cover... But Danny himself gave me that. By the time the noise of his nitro job on the safe had died away, I was inside the house and halfway down the cellar steps. All right, Danny, raise them up over your head. Don't move. Get those hands up high. Oh, yeah? Yeah, mister? Well, look. You reach for a gun, Danny, and I'll pull the trigger. Oh, no, you don't. You see this? This bottle, mister? Nitro. It's nitro, and I can throw it even with a slug in me, and you're dead. I can hit that bottle from here. Now, back up. Drop the gun. You try throwing that bottle of nitro, Danny. Yeah, at you. Set it down now, gently. Set it down. No, no, I'm throwing it now. I'd heard of such things, but never before quite believed them possible. But so help me, when I picked myself up on the edge of the wreckage of that cottage, most of my clothes were blown completely off. 
And yet, by some miracle, I suffered no more than a couple of bruises and a slight headache. As for Danny, well, let's not go into that. He's paid for all his crimes. Expense account total, $349.40. And uh, don't forget my commission. In spite of the fact that a lot of bits and pieces of that money had to be pasted back together. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Can you get premium gasoline performance at regular gasoline price? Find out what so many other car owners have found. In three out of five cars, regular price Sinclair Dino Gasoline matches performance of premium gasoline, saves you up to four cents a gallon. Almost anywhere you see the Sinclair sign, you can save up to four cents a gallon with Dino and still get premium performance and mileage. Drive with care. And buy Sinclair Dino Gasoline. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is written by Jack Johnstone. Produced and directed by Fred Hendrickson. Johnny Dollar is played by Vandell Kramer. Also featured in our cast were Jackson Beck, Joseph Julian... Jack Grimes, Bob Maxwell, and Peter Fernandez. Music supervision by Ethel Huber. Sound patterns by Walter Otto. Tomorrow begins a new week's hilarity with Arthur Godfrey Time on the CBS Radio Network. Welcome back. Using uh, nitroglycerin in your finale is literally a way to end the show with a bang. Uh, seriously, I thought it was a very appropriate and uh, very uh, exciting way to uh, wrap the uh, show up. Uh, the one thing, uh, the one thing I didn't like at the end is that you know it didn't give any indication that um, that this was the last episode. It was kind of like, okay, um, we're not telling you to turn in uh, to tune in next week, so. I think you can take a hint. Uh, it's nice also to hear Jackson Beck in this last episode. Jackson Beck, uh, radio legend. Uh, one of those, one of the few that were based out of, uh, New York, along with people like, uh, Joan Alexander. Beck famous for his, uh, announcing in the Adventures of Superman radio series. So it's great to see him here. Well, there was one more episode, uh, one more play for the uh, uh, golden age of radio, and that was Suspense. Suspense had a very rich history. Back in the early 1940s, CBS auditioned programs for its listeners in a series called Forecast. One of the episodes in Forecast... July of 1940 was uh, for a series of strange tales called Suspense. And this series was eventually green-lighted by CBS. And the first episode aired on June the 17th of 1942. And the program continued on for a uh, mind-boggling uh, 945 episodes, um, most of those still in circulation today. It featured some of the finest actors to ever 
perform anywhere, um, including Alan Land, Humphrey Bogart, uh, uh, the uh, Edward G. Robinson, and on and on the list of uh, great actors uh, who have appeared in suspense goes. They adapted memorable stories, The Moonstone, Othello. Some were kind of detective mysteries. Some were ghost stories. Some were more uh, horse stories. Others were science fiction. They adapted the works of Agatha Christie, John uh, Dixon Carr, and so many others. Suspense at its best was exciting and uh, spine-tingling. It was innovative and uh, definitive. It, too, moved to New York under the constraints of lighter budgets, and that does show up in this last uh, adaptation. This is not a program we would normally play on the great detectives of old-time radio. We're playing it in commemoration of this uh, be- being the 50th anniversary of the last episode. Uh, this is a bit of a uh, ghost story slash horror uh, story, uh, and so uh, parents be advised. Uh, there's also a cigarette commercial. We go ahead and we leave that in just because it was one of the uh, very last commercials of the Golden Age, and we're kind of trying to recapture that whole uh, experience on that day. All right, well, enough of me talking here now. From June the 30th of 1962 is the last episode of Suspense, Devilstone. And now, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. In a moment, Act One of Devilstone, starring Christopher Carey and Neil Fitzgerald, and written especially for Suspense by Jonathan Bundy. This portion of Suspense is brought to you by the makers of Parliament Cigarettes. Listen, more and more people are smoking to this tune every day. Parliament gives you extra margin. Parliament gives you extra margin. The filters recessed and made to stay unneat and clean. Quarter inch away, Parliament gives you extra margin. Parliament gives you extra margin. You're smoking neat, you're smoking clean with Parliament today. Timothy Martin. I live here in Dublin, and very nicely, too, thanks to a considerable inheritance and sale of the family estate in County Kilkenny, which bought a very good price. I have a comfortable cottage, a faithful manservant by the name of Everts, and everything else I need to live an easy, contented life, and without the need of applying myself to any sort of labor. Even my financial matters are no bother to me, handled by a penny-pinching old solicitor by the name of Ian Carney. And mine was a contented life. Until, that is. Until a long-forgotten uncle died and left me some property he'd owned but never lived on up in County Fermanagh near Inneskillen. A place known as Devilstone. And then... But let me digress for a moment. I should say, let me seem to digress for a moment. And remember this, please. For it may have much to do with the strange, terrifying tale I'm about to tell you. Deep under St. Michael's Church, here in Dublin, is a crypt... It possesses most amazing properties. In it lie scores of bodies 
in a state of perfect preservation. Albeit they are hundreds of years old. The old ones used to say it's due to some wondrous form of black magic. Uh, but, but modern science, modern chemistry, has exploded that ancient belief. Has shown that certain gases generated by the unusual composition of the dark, dank earth in which the crypt is located, uh, those gases have produced this amazing phenomenon. Very well. Now, a few days ago, I called Mr. Carney, my solicitor, on the telephone. I've been hoping you'd call me, Timothy. I wish to speak with you about that house and property in County Fermanagh that your uncle left you. Well, I've certainly no desire to move away from Dublin, Mr. Carney, so I've decided to rent out the old place. Rent it out? And why not, sir? You really think you can? Well, I'm quite certain I can. I doubt it. Well, as a matter of fact, an American couple by the name of Stoker left here only yesterday for a look at it. I see. I expect they'll be back here a moment now to agree to lease it for the summer. Timothy, you, uh... Show them the pictures and description of the place? Yesterday morning. They were, so, they were so intrigued by them, they were all for signing a lease then and there. You'd better have taken their money and let them do it, my boy. Oh? Aye. I, I'm sure I don't see why. Well, surely they're entitled to look at the place over before they take it. After all, Mr. Carney, never having been there myself, there wasn't too much I could tell them about Devilstone. Exactly as it should be, Timothy. Well, I'm afraid I don't understand you, sir. I mean that now, my boy. You will never rent it to them. Not anyone else who goes there. Why not? Now, why do you say that, Mr. Carney? Well? You... You don't know? Well, of course I don't know. Then perhaps your tenants... I should say erstwhile prospective tenants will tell you. If you ever see them again. Uh, now, what do you mean by... Oh, excuse me a moment, Mr. Carney. Uh, yes, what is it, Evans? Uh, I beg your pardon, sir, but there's a Mr. Stoker here to see you. Stoker? Yes, sir. And if I may say so, he appears to be quite excited about something uh, rather angry. Hello? Shall I tell him you're busy and suggest he see you another time? Timothy? Yes? Uh, no, Everett. Have him come in, please. Very good, sir. Hello, hello, Timothy. Oh, oh sorry, Mr. Carney, but I have someone here to see me. Uh, no, about Devilstone, Timothy. I, I, I think I'd better call you back. Very well, if you like. But there is something about Devilstone, its history, that you might not be cognizant of. I will. I'll get back to you shortly. Timothy! Uh, goodbye, sir. Well, at least you didn't try to skip out on me. Oh, Mr. Stoker, how are you? Nice to see you again. Oh, it is, eh? Uh, did, did you and your wife get over to look at Devilstone as you planned? We certainly did. And by heaven, Martin, if this is your idea of some practical joke... My what? Sending me alone to that ungodly place would have been bad enough. But my wife... Martin, you ought to be horsewhipped. Now, wait, please. I'll have you know that as a result of your having let her go there, you and your twisted sense of humor... What? What is the matter with you, anyway? The poor woman nearly went out of her mind. Mr. Stoker, I just... She still hasn't recovered from it. Sure, sure, I got her back to Dublin all right. But the doctor has ordered her to bed. Had to give her strong sedatives. Now, I warn you, young man, if she doesn't recover... Now, completely... just a minute, Mr. Stoker. Oh, don't bother, Martin. The less you say, the less I have to see of you from here on out, the better. Here. Here are the keys to that... that place. Now, look here, Mr... Goodbye, Martin. If I ever see you again, it will be in a court of law. I mean, believe me, Mr. Stoker, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you so upset about? Oh, you don't, eh? Do you mean to say there's something something wrong with Devilstone? And do you mean to say that you, the owner of it, don't know? You don't know what, sir? You don't know that that ungodly place is haunted? What? You heard me. Haunted! <laughs> Could I possibly have heard right, sir? Haunted? 
Was that what he said, Mr. Martin? Aren't it? Yes, that's what he said. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, I beg your pardon, sir. But really, really, it's too amusing. It's perfectly all right, Everts. You go right ahead and laugh, and I'll join you. Well, that's about an absurd excuse I've ever heard. Excuse me, sir. You don't think he meant it. But the devil's own is haunted? How could he? Haunted houses went out of fashion a hundred years ago. No, Everts, it was simply a silly excuse for not leasing the place. Well, now that he and his wife have had a look at it. Oh, but what an excuse. Or does he think that we Irish are nothing but a lot of stupid, superstitious idiots? Quite right, sir. What? I, I, I mean, of course not, sir. Well, anyhow, it's completely ridiculous. So we'll simply forget it. Forget about the stokers. Place an advertisement in the papers and find ourselves some other tenants. Yes, sir. Uh, maybe we'd best reduce the rate on it a bit. Perhaps that's what scared them off. No, well, that could be, sir. Or who knows? Perhaps Devilstone isn't in as good condition as we've been led to believe. But can you imagine anyone coming up with an excuse so patently absurd, so completely asinine, and so utterly foolish, and expecting us to believe him, to take him seriously? Yes. What is it, sir? Everts. The truth now. Yes. Do you believe? Do you think? Possibly. Oh, no. No, of course not. It couldn't be. And it... Could that have been what Mr. Carney was talking about? Or at least implying? Mr. Carney, the solicitor? Yes. But Mr. Carney seems to be a man of good sense. He was so definite about it, though. When he told me I should have let them do what they wanted after they saw the pictures, sign a lease immediately. Before they even saw Devilstone? Yes, yes. They would have, you know. They would have signed and paid a couple of months' rent. And Mr. Carney said I was wrong in not letting them do it. In not getting what I could and immediately. That would have been... Would it have been completely uh, ethical, no? You mean if something is wrong with the place? But haunted, sir. No, no, of course not. Ridiculous. Oh, of course. And yet... Uh, well, there's one way to find out. Yes. Shall I put in a call to Mr. Carney? No, 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 no. By doing that, I'd be admitting that I might believe in such ridiculous possibility. No, no, Everts. You and I will drive up to Devilstone and we'll investigate ourselves. Capital, sir. A splendid idea. Uh, you like it, eh? Well, never having seen the place either of us, and after Mr. Stoker's reaction to it, it might be quite exciting, sir. Let's see now. If we leave right away, we should be able to reach Devilstone by nightfall. Yes, sir. So watch the car and a couple of flashlights, too. Very good, sir. And perhaps, and perhaps I'd better take along a pistol, just in case. And of course. What, sir? Well, to conduct our investigation in the ghostly place and style, we'll take along one of the dogs with us. Say, uh, Red Kim of Hellescote. An excellent idea, sir. Now, let's get underway. Yes, sir. Well, Everts, if the man at the petrol station told us right, the rambling old mansion you now see before you is Devilstone. Yes. I see. Now, what kind of a reaction is that? Not a gloomy old place, if I may say so, sir. Now, don't you start conjuring up some ghosts. Even Kim apparently finds nothing particularly friendly about it. Now, look, Evans. If you're going to become superstitious about Devilstone... Oh, no, sir. Come along, we'll have a look at it. Come along, Kim. Come along, boy. Now, let me see if I can unlock this door. Yes, sir, yes. I'll hold the flash on it for you. Good. Uh, I believe this is the key. Well, the door is already ajar. 
Why, yes, sir. So I see. Well, come along, you two. Come on, kid. He's protesting rather vehemently, sir. We'll just get him inside and we'll close the door. Yes, sir. Kim, uh, what the devil's the matter with you? Oh, come now, boy. Are you a dog or a mouse? most certainly is frightened of something, sir. Yes. He doesn't look like a ghost hunter crouched down there in the corner that way. And if I remember the pictures correctly, this door here should lead to a small out-enclosed court, sir. And my word. Just another night bird, Everts. Don't let it bother you. Now, now do you mind why, telling me why... Well, why did you do that? I beg your pardon. What, why, you're still over there at the door. And yet, I distinctly felt something or someone bump against my shoulder. And I thought someone walked on past me. Look here, look here, Mr. Martin. Yes? What is it? In the mud, out there in the court. Shine your light on it, sir, where mine is. Why, why, yes, footprints. Big ones. And fresh. And do you see? More of them are being made even as we look at them. No. And yet there's no one there to make them. Impossible. I, I know, sir. But you're right, Evans. You're right. Back inside now, and quickly. Yes, sir. Now, whatever is making those footsteps can't follow us. It does feel a bit safer in here. No wonder Kim is frightened. There were things like that going on. But why? And how? Do you suppose, sir, that one of the old lamps could be lighted? Well, if they have any oil in them. And it shouldn't take us long to find out if they... Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Now, what are we acting this way for? It's trickery, that's all it is. It's trickery. But by, by whom, sir? And why? Well, that is something we shall have to find out. Now, where is Kim? Oh, there he is, still in the corner. Right. Do you suppose, sir? No. Nonsense. Whoever it was that scared Stoker and his wife out of here is trying to scare us now. And I mean to find him out. But the dog, sir. And if it's true about them and, and, and that there is a ghost... Nonsense. Now, we'll just look about here. <coughs> Where? Now what's the matter? That door. At the other end. What? Behind you. It's opening by itself into a small room beyond... Uh, good. Then we shall start our investigation in that room. Well, uh, are you coming? Uh, yes, sir. Oh! oh, clumsy. Now you dropped your flashlight. I didn't, sir. I didn't. It was knocked out in the hand. It what? Honest. Honest it was, sir. 
I swear it, sir. Now, Everts, don't be silly. Go on back in there and get it. I, I, I really rather not, sir, if you don't mind. Oh, oh, the door. It's closed by itself. And now we're locked in. Oh, Yari. Who did this? Who closed this door? Who's there? Who's there, I say? Same one. What? Same thing. What are you talking about? The same thing that struck your shoulder, that made the footprints in the mud, and that frightened poor Kim so badly. And frightened you, too. Well, I say it's trickery. Trickery. It has to be. Who's doing this? Answer me. Answer me. Your death begun. What? Your death begun. Yes. Yes. I guess we'd better. Yes, sir. No, no. Not a bit of it. Please, sir. Please, in the name of heaven, sir. No. We're going to stay right here, Everts, until we find Your out. death begun. No, no, no. Not until we learn just what's going on and... Where's that voice coming from? I've tried to warn you. Please, sir. They've tried to scare us, that's all. Tried to scare us. Yes. Yes. So that you'd leave this place. Why? Because if you do not, you will suffer the same fate as the dog. Kim? Fate? What are you talking about? Look, sir. The door is opening. Yes, look. In the light of the flash that was dropped in there. Kim! Everts. Everts. Kim is dead. Then, Mr. Martin. Oh, please, sir. I, I, I beg of you. Who did this? Who did this? Show yourself. Yes, I will show myself. Look. What? Oh, look, sir. Out, out of thin air. Yes, yes, yes. I see him. Mr. Martin. Mr. Martin. Yes, yes, yes. All right, all right. We'll leave. Come along, Everts. Come on. Yes, 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 Mr. Carney. I thought at first it was trickery or perhaps some kind of joint hallucination by Everts and myself, induced perhaps by the gloomy atmosphere of the old house and whatever it was that Stoker had said about his wife and her being so terrified. No, my boy. Uh, but when it actually happened, that he actually appeared there before us out of thin air, this misty, tenuous, impalpable figure, and then when we found there wasn't so much as a little mark on Kim, the dog, who up to that moment had been as healthy as I... Why didn't you tell me about whatever it is in that, 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 that inhabits that place when I talked to you on the phone? I tried to, Timothy, but you cut me off. And after all, I'd known about it only as a legend from hearsay. And he was a huge man and powerful, this ghost. Yes, I should say it was Jason O'Flynn, your ancestor, who built the place for his wife. It was to have been her castle. It was? Yes. But the first day she sought to enter into it, she fell, tripped upon the threshold... 
She struck her head, and she never regained consciousness. I see. The doctor was summoned, did all he could for her, there in a smaller room off the main salon. Yes. But she died that night. And then Jason O'Flynn swore by the book that no one would live in that house but he until his body turned to dust. He walked out of that little room then and was never seen again. And ever since that time... But now you know the rest. Wait. Yes? Until his body turns to dust. His own words. And he wasn't seen to leave. No. What are you thinking of, Timothy? I'm going back there, Mr. Carney. Tomorrow in daylight. Hmm. I, I, I just don't get it. I certainly found no signs of hollow walls or hidden panels on the floors above, sir. And yet, Everett, somewhere, somewhere close to that small room. Hmm. Don't you think it's best we simply leave the place and... and, and uh... No, no, no. No one but he. What? Until his body turned to dust. What, sir? And although there must have been other people about, he wasn't seen to leave. And to me, Everts, that means only one thing. Somewhere in this house lies the key to this mystery. But we've been here most of the day, sir, and we've found nothing. And it's getting on towards dusk. I know, I know, I know. But until I find some... Sorry, sir. Let me help you. The old rug was so badly wrinkled, it's no wonder you tripped. Wait. Everts. Listen. Very, a very hollow floor, I should say. Here. Help me fold this rug back. Yes, sir. Here now. And look. A sort of trapdoor. And fitted in the floor so tightly. Yes. And this. It looks like a seal around the edge. Why, yes, sir. And a heavy lifting ring. Well, then give me a hand. We'll see if we can raise it. Now. Oh, it's very tight, sir. Yes. Uh, but the seal is giving way a little. Put everything you have into it now. Ah, good. We made it. Must have fitted hard overcoming up out of that place. Yes. Yes, Everts. Like that in the caves, the catacombs under St. Mikan's. You mean where all the, the, the bodies and... and... Yes, quickly now. The flashlight, give it to me. Here, sir. Now, now, look, 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 look down there on the earthen floor below. Do you see? Do you see? The wrists are cut. He killed himself. No. No, it's he. It's the ghost that we saw. Yes, Everts. The body of Jason O'Flynn. And so perfectly preserved as, as though he died only moments ago. Until his body turned to dust, he said. So we know now, now that we've found it. So please, sir, let's leave this place. Uh, wait, Everts, wait. What do you see? Now the fresh air has reached it. Oh, oh, good Lord. Yes, the color is leaving the cheeks. The pallor of death is taking its place. And yes, now, at long last, the body will turn to dust. No longer will Jason O'Flynn walk the night. Requiescat in pace. 
been listening to Devil's Stone, starring Christopher Carey and Neil Fitzgerald, and written especially for suspense by Jonathan Bundy. Suspense is produced and directed by Fred Hendrickson. Heard in tonight's story were Gilbert Mack, Walter Grisey, Reynold Osborne, and Frank Milano. Music supervision by Ethel Huber. Sound patterns by Walter Otto. Technical direction by Fred Cusick. Associate director, Bernie Seabrooks. This is Stuart Metz speaking. Every weekday evening, Chris Schenkel is anchorman for a globe-girdling roundup of first-hand reports on sports activities everywhere. Make this your address for worldwide sports every weeknight. He who laughs oftenest, here's Arthur Godfrey time weekdays on the CBS radio network. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Well, I think Johnny Dollar ended on a strong note. Suspense, not so much. Uh, this episode, uh, was written, uh, under, uh, the name Jonathan Bundy. It was actually a, uh, student, uh, a, a pen name for Jack Johnstone, and he had a few of those. Um, really, uh, even for this type of story, it seemed a little bit, um, 
a week on the uh, conclusion. But there it is, the last episode of Suspense. And again, the somewhat remarkable thing about this is there's no sort of um, thank you so much for listening to us for the past 20 years. Just uh, listen to Arthur Godfrey tomorrow, and uh, if you tune in and you don't hear us there next week, well, surprise, we just aren't going to be there and uh, not going to bother to mention it. I definitely am a bit of a sucker for the um, memorable season finale that ties everything together and answers all of our uh, questions. But I, I do think that there was a reason that... Uh, they were just not into it during the golden era. I think there was a sense of uh, just simply ending a program with uh, dignity, taking the last bow, and moving on to the next thing. Uh, perhaps that comes from the uh, tradition and ancestry in the stage. Well, listener comments and feedback. I let folks know I was going to... Um, uh, be doing this special, and I asked for comments, and so I'm going to share some of these. Um, Karen says, I've been listening to old-time radio since, since I was 12, and I'm 47 now. The first shows I remember listening to were Suspense and Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I love them, and many, many more to this day. Thank you for bringing a smile to my face every day. And uh, Andrew says, I've only listened to about 15 episodes of Johnny Dollar so far. I don't think I'll have caught up by then. And um, Michael comments, this was truly the end of the era. Uh, Jeremy Light says, Johnny Dollar was the first old-time radio show I picked up and started listening to several years ago. And David uh, says, uh, Johnny Dollar was my first radio show dating back to when I was a child tra traveling from military base to military base with my family. Love the show, uh, clearly especially the Bob Bailey episodes, but really what a clever, charming program. And I think this episode, last episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, kind of uh, illustrated that charm. Uh, there was definitely an emotional uh, connection in the writing in that first scene with the uh, uh, convict talking to Johnny Dollar. Um and uh, just the overall uh, reaction, even, you know, I, I think ha hanging on to some old school uh, 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 feelings and uh, sentiment, even as they move forward into the uh, 1960s with that little bit of a beat going on in the background. And uh, Christy says, Johnny Dollar is my favorite old-time radio show. I especially like the five-part episodes with Bob Bailey. I only recently found your podcast and have started listening to the series before. I know I won't be caught up by September 30th, but that's okay. It's a podcast, and I can download it and listen to it at my leisure. Thanks for sharing. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I, I hope that uh, those of you... Um, who do download this, whether you download it on September 30th or at some later date. Um, appreciate this look back. And uh, that will actually do it for uh, today. Join us back here tomorrow for the adventures of Frank Race. And uh, in the meantime, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and call us 208-991-4783. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.